listening to the Influencer Girl Lifestyle Podcast with Monica Woodhams. Influencer Girl Lifestyle is all about connecting you with top entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities who are sharing their secrets to living the influencer life behind the Instagram filters. So get ready to learn the ins and outs about influence, some girl talk, from dating to shopping for Gucci belts, and of course, the all-too-frequent debate over mimosas versus Bloody Marys at brunch. Here's your host and go-to for all things influencer lifestyle, Monica Woodhams. Hey, y'all. I am here today with Annalisa Grief. She's the founder and co-owner of Recess City. Recess City is a lifestyle Instagram and blog centered on travel, ethical fashion, and sustainability. So welcome, Annalisa. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yes, excited for you to be here as well. So I like to kick off the episodes with a little this or that just to kind of warm things up. So if you're up for that, definitely into it. Cool. Are you an early riser or a night owl? Early riser for sure. Have you always been an early riser? Yes. I didn't sleep through the night till I was seven. (laughs) No way. Yeah. It's straight up. I was up at 3 a.m. for the first like seven years. Yeah. I'm a very early riser. Oh my gosh, that would terrify my best friend right now if I told her that because her baby hasn't slept a oh, night no. yet. I'm <laughs> she... praying it doesn't happen to me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and every month she goes back to the doctor and they're like, no, he should be sleeping by now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, tea or coffee? Tea. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What kind of tea? Um, I drink Earl Grey tea every morning. Oh, yeah. I love a London Fog. Ooh, I like London Fog, too. Definitely. Podcasts or books? Um, probably both. I, I'm a big reader, but I listen to podcasts oftentimes, like, pretty much every time we fly now, I listen to podcasts, and I listen to podcasts every night when I cook. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Colorful wardrobe or a neutral wardrobe? Neutral wardrobe. Mimosa or Bloody Mary? Uh, mimosa. And then the last one is takeout or cooking? Cooking, definitely. What's your kind of favorite recipe of the moment that you've been cooking up? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, it's summertime almost now. I'm, like, calling it summer even though (laughs) we're still having kind of crummy weather off and on. But um, I love to grill. Just, like, I'm a vegetarian, but vegetables and corn on the cob and just, like, hanging out at friends' apartments on the roof in the summer in the city. It's just the best. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there's nothing better than grilled vegetables. No. They're so good. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's so, like, such easy cleanup and everybody's just, yeah. like, happy and <laughs> it's awesome. It's so true. Okay, so let's kind of dive straight into Recess City and just... Fill us in on how this even started. So you and your husband, you have photography backgrounds. So when did that photography background turn into Recess City? Yeah, so um, I went to school internationally for university. I went to the University of Dublin at Trinity College. And while I was there, um, I had friends and family basically saying I should start a blog or start an Instagram because it was kind of unusual for an American to be living abroad and it would be interesting to follow along, et cetera, et cetera. So from there, I um, started sort of a small blog and Instagram, basically just detailing my travels within Ireland and maybe weekend trips throughout Europe or other places I would 
explore. And um, my husband now, then boyfriend, Porter, would come to visit me sort of every month or so or two months. And oftentimes we would meet up in a different city in Europe and kind of explore it together. And he was always very good at photography, but it wasn't something that had really sort of delved into. But Mm -hmm. once he saw my interest in the blogging and sort of Instagram sphere, he was very encouraging. And whenever we would go to a different city, he would sort of bring the camera along and any idea I had, he was very encouraging and would be like, that's awesome. Let's do that. We're going there right now. And I'd be like, are you sure? Isn't it kind of lame? And he would be like, no, like, let's do it. Let's go take pictures. So, um, yeah, from there we started to realize that it was something that we enjoyed doing together. And of course it at this point in time, it's not like we were taking or sharing photos for the sake of growing an audience. It was really just (laughs) documenting what I was up to for the sake of friends and families. And as more of a creative outlet. Um, but then sort of throughout my junior and senior year of university over in Dublin, we started to develop uh, more of a following. And I think around the spring of my senior year, I had somewhere around 15,000 followers maybe. And I was starting to think like, oh, people are semi-interested. Maybe somewhere down the line, this could be more of um, more of a career and less of a hobby, I guess. I st- sort of started to fantasize about that being reality for me or for us someday. And I was starting to think about what career path I would take after college. And I was an English major and I always knew I wanted to do something with writing, but the jobs sort of readily available for an English major weren't very attractive to me. I didn't want to go to law school. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a journalist. I was sort of going down the list of possible realms and none of them leapt from the page for me. I sort of just wanted to do what I was doing at school. (laughs) I wanted to travel. I wanted to continue photography and work with my boyfriend and, um, have my cake and eat it too. And (laughs) I knew that usually wasn't realistic, But I spoke to my parents about it a bit, and I basically laid it out and more or less begged them and said, give me three months to make this profitable. If it's not profitable, then I'll get a quote-unquote real job. I will, like figure something out. Just like, let me give it a real go while, um, while doing it full time. And, um, I came back to Boston and started shooting with Porter every week when he'd come home from work and every weekend. And it sort of blossomed from there. But, um, we sort of approached blogging and Instagram on the typical trajectory of fashion, knowing that fashion was the sphere where you were able to make money with the smallest investment the fastest. So Mm -hmm. if you jump into like travel blogging and want to make it, but don't yet have an audience, then the amount of time it's going to take for you to pay for those trips and go to those places to get those photos is a pretty hefty investment, especially for somebody straight out of college. But Mm -hmm. um, for fashion photography, if you have an eye for style and an eye for photography, you can sort of pick it up anywhere you are with the clothing that you have. And um, that's sort of the route we went down. And after about maybe five months, six months of sort of steadily growing and feeling like we're getting our foot in the door and starting to earn a bit of money. I started to realize that it wasn't really checking that moral fulfillment box for me or for us at the end of the day, like going to bed at night, I would ask myself, okay, like, why am I doing this? What's the purpose behind this? If I were to wake up tomorrow and have a million followers, 
would that be validating? Would that be fulfilling on the current path that we're on? And for us, it was a resounding no, because at the end of the day, that style of influencing is purely based on sharing your own tastes and inspiring people within the fashion sphere and documenting your life. But there's not a lot of sort of big picture encouragement of the kinds of values we wanted to feel like we were sharing with the world and encouraging others toward. So sort of right around that time, we started to discover ethical fashion through the Netflix documentary, The True Cost, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. wonderful if you haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. And um, we started working with a couple of ethical fashion brands and realized after working with one or two, this is exactly what we want to be doing. We'd love to be able to use our platform to talk about broader issues and sort of inspire people to action and get people thinking differently about the clothing they wear and where they travel to. And as soon as we made that call, it was sort of like all systems go um, full speed ahead. We were working sort of doggedly and staying up late into the night, figuring out what the long term vision for this what what it would look like if we were super successful, what we would want it to look like. And um what we wanted to represent and working hard to sort of adhere to that as strictly as possible moving forward. Absolutely. So would you say one of the reasons why you saw the success that you did is because both of you were just fully committed to, you know, the long-term vision of this? Because I talk to a lot of bloggers and sometimes they're just trying to get through the day and they think maybe one day this will happen. But you kind of just were like, you know what? No, this is going to happen. Would you say that's a huge part of why you became successful in this time period? Absolutely. I mean, I think being able to blindly believe in yourself as an entrepreneur from the earliest of days into your own success is so important. And there are definitely moments where I look back and Porter looks back and we ask ourselves like, damn, why were we so sure of ourselves? Why were we absolutely (laughs) convinced that this was going to happen? The writing was not on the wall. We were making absolutely no money. Like, but for some reason, even from those very early days, it was just that it was going to happen. And I don't know, maybe that's um, because we're both tremendously competitive. Maybe it's because I'm <laughs> type A, I don't know. But I think not allowing any sort of doubts to creep into your mind and not allowing yourself to sort of be trudged down by the sort of week by week um, distractions that come along with running your own business is really important. If you just sort of keep your eye on, I'm doing this in the present moment for the sake of being able to have this impact in the future, it makes it less about you. And I think Mm -hmm. that as soon as you can make it not about you and make it more about um, a cause or trying to fulfill something purposeful or do something that helps others, that motivation well is going to run out um, far less quickly than if it's self-centered. That's so true because, I mean, our human nature is really we want to help each other or, you know, have that really purposeful meaning to life and, you know, just saying like, oh, it would be cool if I did this. That 
is so short-lived. So mm-hmm. when you can really tap into what it is that is so meaningful, that's going to be the longevity on those days where you're up till 3 a.m. trying to work through a project and you're like, oh my gosh. Absolutely. That's, you, that's why the why is so important because it's what just, it's really what keeps you going. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so when you made the transition from, you know, the more fashion to then focusing specifically on ethical fashion and then sustainable travel. Were you nervous at all how your audience was going to react? Did you know that that just was going to feel just as natural to them as it was for you? Um, I definitely was nervous because it wasn't, we sort of, we hadn't hinted at ethicality or sustainability at all up to that point, but we had sort of made the call that it was going to be this way or no way. We were going to mm-hmm. pursue Instagram and blogging via ethical fashion and sustainability, or we weren't really interested. And I think that um, that was something that was helpful and really empowering because it's so easy in this world of Instagram to become absolutely addicted to the validation of like counts and Mm -hmm. follower growth and to have that be the end all be all of what you create. And I think it's unfortunate because I kind of think, um, especially with the new algorithm, Instagram is creating a situation where creativity goes to die, where people are saying, I have to do what's proven to work, what's proven to attract this specific audience, what's proven to make me grow, or I'm risking my business. And Porter and I didn't really want to play by those rules. We want to produce the art that we feel um, is an accurate representation of our own creativity and also is the kind of art that we feel can prompt people to think differently. So um, it was kind of liberating in a way too, because I started to care a lot less about things like follower growth and like counts, or if one photo you think is going to do well, doesn't do very well. It's sort of like move on. You know what I mean? There's a bigger picture at play. Right. It's like, you know, people saw how pictures of coffee mugs worked. Mm -hmm. And then it was all said in like, the discover section of Instagram was literally like all that, you know, and then people think, Oh, that's what works. And I have to post that. And then it's just this thing and everyone's Instagram looks exactly the same. And so I love how you mentioned that this is your art because at the end of the day, I mean, photography is art. And I think that because now, you know, it's so quote unquote easy to take a picture with your phone. We kind of forget that, there's that artistic value and creativity behind it. So I love that you bring that up. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you. And I think we're fortunate too in that um, there's definitely Instagrammers out there who don't consider themselves photographers and um, more consider themselves sort of bloggers or Instagrammers. Mm -hmm. But because we had that foundation for both of us, it sort of freed us up to know like, okay, whether Instagram disappears tomorrow or not, we're still photographers. (laughs) So we sort of have that sense of um, security, if you will. Right. So how do you balance the, you know, the business side of things, knowing that your audience is on Instagram and also with like and knowing that like that's probably something that still needs to grow, but also balancing what your values are when it comes to um, social media and what you're posting? Um, I think for us, it's just 
putting our values first and hoping and praying that the kind of exposure and um, attraction we get from our audience and from other users on the Instagram platform will follow. And so far doing that, we've been lucky in that um, people tend to seem to be attracted to what we're doing. And uh, we recently announced just about a week or two weeks ago that we're sort of changing things up once again. And that was another risk. But initially when we left to travel the world about eight months ago, the plan was to just travel and to shoot and share ethical fashion and talk about sustainable travel and sustainable hotels. But, um, even within that, we sort of started to realize going to all these places around the world that travel in and of itself and sort of the state of the earth right now with global warming and climate change is such a pressing issue. Mm-hmm. And it's being so overlooked by all of the influencers who are going to these stunning locations and sharing photos, but not talking about sort of the darker truth at play. Mm-hmm. And it started to feel dishonest. Um, to be going to these places and taking beautiful pictures and talking about ethical fashion was good. But all of a sudden what we had thought would be good enough wasn't good enough anymore because we were seeing the reality of, okay, this um, one temple in Bali is stunning to shoot, but the drive on the way there, the roadsides are riddled with trash and poverty and people burning plastic. And there's no sense when you flip through your Instagram that the beautiful places you see are anything but that. And we think that's a detriment to the world. And we think that um, it's on the shoulders of influencers to be authentic in what they share and authentic about the true state of the places they visit because they drive tourism just like they drive sales within the fashion industry. And if you're driving tourism to a place that isn't handling it responsibly from an environmental standpoint and from a standpoint of taking care of the people who are actually native to that country, then um, that weight is on your soul. And I don't want that on mine. (laughs) Totally. I have a friend who went to India about a year ago and stayed at a five-star hotel and literally across the street from the hotel, not like a few blocks down, like across the street from the hotel, it was just like just trash everywhere and people living in like the just, just really really hard conditions and it was literally across the street from the hotel and he Mm -hmm. was just like i i I don't know like how to handle this right now like yeah it it makes me so uncomfortable that uh, like this is the hotel that i i booked but you don't even because you don't they don't advertise it accurately yeah and like he felt like he did need to, like, share with people, like, okay, like, yeah, this is how nice the hotel was, but, like, just so you know, like, it's not all glamorous. Absolutely. Like, and so I I love that that's your mission. I love that that's the big picture for y'all because, I mean, it's so true. I remember going to the Philippines and, you know, when you're driving from the airport to the resort, it's, it's like, it's that in-between and that's how people are living their lives every single day Mm -hmm. and we we can do something about it absolutely i think that's the most frustrating part that these problems are not 
um, in theory, difficult to solve. And Mm -hmm. it is not difficult to promote tourism to countries that can handle it and to speak up when you visit someplace that is not handling it properly. But for some reason, I think just because on Instagram you're subject to the opinions of so many people, people are hesitant. And um, we've actually been really fortunate in that even though we take a pretty hard stance on things like that and are openly vocal about it, we haven't had a lot of people come back and sort of offer their own negative two cents, but I'm sure it's coming. But um, going forward in the future now, every month we're traveling to one place around the world to talk specifically about a sustainability-related issue versus just going to places based off of our own bucket lists. Mm-hmm. And that's something um, we sort of came up with. We, we spent this last month in Indonesia, and we, my husband Porter and I were both just absolutely sick about the state of the environment over there and um, just how terrible the trash problem has become, specifically on the beaches. It was like nothing mm-hmm. I've ever seen, um, literally swimming by syringes, just awful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I hear that because of the monsoon season, because of tides, that's the worst time of year for that. But, um, yeah, same situation that you were describing with your friend in India, being at a five-star hotel and going down to sort of the beautiful private beach, except like there's needles and there's diapers and there's plastic and there's dead fish. And you're wondering like, how in the world are people coming here at such large volumes and portraying these stunning sort of beachside locations when this is the reality? And sort of from that discouragement and um, from earlier discouragement we'd experienced in the Maldives, seeing the states of the reefs over there, we were like, mm-hmm. all right, let's let's just go one place per month, talk about a different sustainability-related issue. And if people feel that our account is too, um, sort of has gone too educational or are no longer interested in what we're doing, then once again, they don't have to follow, but it right. fulfills, exactly. fulfills what we need it to fulfill in order for it to be something we want to pursue. Absolutely. So, for someone who is thinking, okay, this this makes sense, but what exactly does sustainable travel mean? Like you like it's you can kind of conceptualize what it means, but for you specifically, how do you break down kind of sustainable travel 101? Absolutely. So, I mean, in theory, travel itself isn't sustainable. You know what I mean? Right. Like the plane. Yeah. Exactly. Airplanes put tons of carbon dioxide into the air. And once you get to that country, you're going to be traveling within country, likely on cars and trains and boats that are, again, usually harping the environment. But um, I think those issues right now are inescapable. And I don't think they're big enough reasons to just say there's no such thing as sustainable travel. I'm going to sit at home. I think Mm -hmm. it's important to go to the places that are doing things correctly or that need a light shown on them for uh, a greater purpose. So, um, Some of the examples are like this year coming ahead, some of the ideas we've had of places we're going to go and sort of things we've done in the past as well is traveling to somewhere like Venice and talking about ocean level rises and showing how the city is flooding in like every corner. We were there in October during um, some like intense full moon tides and you're walking around puddles the size of a soccer field. And again, 
people are shooting and sharing Venice and not sharing that element of it. Um, And going to places like uh, the Maldives and talking about sort of the coral bleaching epidemic that's hit them so hard and talking about how the beautiful clear waters you see with the overwater bungalows actually had seagrasses under them that have been pulled by all the five-star hotels. And now all the sea turtles that used to live in the Maldives are starving because their food resource has been pulled out for the sake of aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And it's just these undercurrent of... um, this undercurrent of issues that to a normal person scrolling through Instagram, they would just never be aware of, but that somebody needs to shoot and talk about because the places are beautiful and they're um, absolutely needing to be preserved for the next generation and hopefully many more generations to come. But it's it's very present, the need. It, it's like we needed to do all of this yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So um, so for us, sustainable travel is about going to places where you can shine a light on an issue related to sustainability and how we can solve it. And for other people who are sort of just looking to plan trips, it's about finding a hotel that is um, using resources mindfully, usually um, employing locals with above a living wage and doing what they can to offset some of the sustainability issues in their local area. And in a broader sense, researching even the countries that you visit. I was very frustrated in myself when we got or with myself when we got to Indonesia because I I just had never thought to research if um, Bali in that area of Indonesia was hyper sustainable because the depiction of that Mm -hmm. part of Indonesia in the United States is so sort of yogi culture, surfers, like greenery. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, done. This is it's just going to be all that. But it was except those same sort of yogis who are preaching veganism and having their acai bowls are then like stepping over trash on the way to their beach, not picking it up. And it was it was confusing. And I was I was sort of like, okay, I've I've really got to um I've got to focus on learning as much as I can about each place we go to so that I might not inspire somebody to travel to a country that isn't up to the standards. We need those countries to be up to in order to not sort of absolutely ravage our environment even more so than it already has been. Absolutely. So for someone who, let's say they already have a trip planned and they're like, you know what, this is a huge aha moment. I don't want to contribute to this problem, but I still want to, you know, like explore the world. Like what's one simple thing that they can do while they're there that can, you know, make them feel like they're not contributing to the problem as much. I think if you can find an opportunity to serve others in any place you go to, whether you're on a trip by yourself or with friends, with your family, you are always going to be contributing positively to that place. Yeah. So um, this last trip when we were in Bali, we got the chance to work with an orphanage for a couple of um, a couple of days, which was wonderful. And then simultaneously, when we're at the beaches, I was literally just bringing a bag towards the end, like every single time to collect trash because Mm -hmm. I was so fed up. But um, I think that even if you're going to a country that doesn't have the infrastructure to be taking care of the environment the way that we feel it should be taken care of, it's very important to not go into those countries with a spirit of 
um, being judgmental or saying you're doing this wrong, Um, but rather going in and seeing where you can shine a light. And sometimes that might just mean going to the beach and picking up a few pieces of trash here and there. Um, But I think that you learn the most about other people when you're in selfless service beside them or working in selfless service towards them. So um, doing any sort of um, specifically, I think, environmental and educational initiative product project. So volunteering at a school or an orphanage or clean up a beach or to like work with local animals or turtle hatcheries, anything like that, that brings you into being part of the solution rather than the problem. I think that you walk away from those trips with your eyes opened and um, the spirit of service. Once it starts to be cultivated within someone, I believe that it never goes away. It only gets added to. And I Mm -hmm. think that those kinds of travelers are the kinds of travelers that the world needs more of because they're leaving every place they go better than they found it. Love that. And I'm also a big believer in, you know, when traveling to get to know the people who live there. Absolutely. And that's when you get the understanding of what that place is all about. And that's where you like really walk away with, okay, I fully experienced this city or this country because... I've traveled with friends before who have no interest in, like, kind of being a local, in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's – I my most fulfilling trips are when I'm just kind of, like, immersed in and, like, you know what? I'm going to live this as if I lived here rather than just kind of, like, hotel to um, point A to point B, back to the hotel for dinner you know like those are those trips are always the most unmemorable for me exactly I couldn't agree with you more I think that um I think that it's a really great blessing to enjoy in some ways being uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. those experiences are in a sense uncomfortable when you go into a country and you really are like going to immerse yourself oh yeah it's not easy it's not easy at all it's awkward you you, it's uncomfortable you on both sides I'm sure But um, once you can start to like like that discomfort because you know the joy you'll eventually get out of it, it's um it's a really great thing. I uh, I worked in I worked on educational environmental initiative trips in the Amazon when I was um, in my early twenties in the summer, and I would bring sort of big groups of teens there to sort of do uh, cleanups and work with schools, and it was so amazing and uplifting to sort of watch as these younger kids went into the first couple of days of these trips, very hesitant to sort of try their Spanish or I don't like mm-hmm. volunteer to help where somebody wasn't volunteering and um, sort of talk to the local children. And then by day sort of 18 or 19, they were so at home in that culture and um, sort of all of the little tidbits of judgmental behavior, sort of not wanting to try this food or that food, or is this water clean, et cetera, et cetera, had just disappeared. And they were experiencing the people there and the culture as a people and a culture equal to their own. And I think that those aha moments are so valuable. Absolutely. I mean, not to get like I don't I don't want to take this conversation in like a wrong direction but like I think that that's such a key thing to you know like our happiness and coexisting together everyone like 
globally is to just see each other on the same, like, just, we're all together in this. Exactly. Like, no one's better than the other person. No one has a better culture than the other culture. Like, it, it's just this constant comparison game, and if the more we get to know more people, then we start to see that. I'm very grateful that I, I'm half Spanish and part Filipino and American. And so like, to me, like I was just born exposed to the different cultures. So I never really, but I, I grew up in Kansas too. So I saw the other side of things, <laughs> you, you know? So it's yeah, like, I'm I kind of sure. saw it all. And like, of course there's moments where like in middle school where I'm like, it would be so easy if I were just like a hundred percent, like, American or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know like looking back it's such something to be so grateful for because I really do see us getting to know everyone just on the same playing field as being one of the greatest solutions to all the just hate that goes on right now yeah I definitely agree with you so when it comes to What's next for Recess City? I know you said that you're kind of shifting gears here again, but what are you most excited about for what's coming next? Um, in a selfish way, I think I'm most excited to learn. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'm, I've always been kind of a book nerd. I'm a big reader and I listen to tons of podcasts and I, uh, I like learning. And I think when you graduate from college, I'm sure this isn't true for everyone, but some of us miss the days of sort of like getting your binder and getting ready yeah, for classes yes. and going to that first like lecture or what yeah. have you. So for me, I'm kind of looking at this as like a new opportunity to treat every sustainability issue we talk about as sort of that course that I'm covering that month. Um, and I'm taking it seriously. Like I have tons of books in our studio right now that I'm reading up on renewable energy because that's what we're going to be talking about in Iceland because it's the first country in the world that's running on 100% renewable energy. Oh, and, I have no idea. That's yeah, so cool. Really, really cool. And um, and again, like Iceland, I mean, man, it is all over Instagram, but how, right? how come nobody knows that? Like, I Yeah, I look every day. I see a picture of someone in Iceland. Exactly. And, um, oh my gosh. and most of the energy is derived from the geothermal pools like the Blue Lagoon, which is, again, all over Instagram, but (laughs) nobody knows that. So um, for me, it's going to be like this interesting learning process of learning about the sustainability issues, but then also learning about a way to spin it so that when we present the information through like captions and Insta stories and our blog talking about like, okay, this is what renewable energy is. This is why Iceland is able to be a hundred percent or run on a hundred percent renewables. How can I sort of caption that or word that or put that in a caption in a way that it's going to resonate with a 45 year old man as much as a 13 year old girl? And how can I put it in sort of like terms that captivate somebody who's in middle school and somebody who has an MBA. And I think that's, um, that's an interesting challenge and something I'm kind of exploring. Uh, but it's interesting. And of course, we're excited to go to these places and photograph them and capture them and talk about the issues. But I think for me right now, the most exciting thing is definitely the learning side of it. And again, it's, it's one of those things where 
if I was given like a grant to do this and had, didn't have an Instagram and didn't have any exposure, I would still absolutely want to do it. So, yeah. So I, I know that, um, I know that if that's my reaction, then this is definitely the correct path. And my husband feels certainly very similarly. And at the same time, we both were ready to sort of travel one week to 10 days out of a month and then lead a more normalized existence at home here in Boston. So that's what we're going to be able to do now. We're going to do about 10 day trips to somewhere in the world once a month. And then the other 20 days of the month we'll be editing and sharing and putting together um, the information that needs to be put together to sort of share these issues as best we can. But um, hopefully developing some sort of normalized schedule along the way. Right. I love that. I think that's such a cool way to do it. How Um, far in advance do you plan your trips? It really depends. Um, it used, I used to be the type of person who it was like six months before I had everything scheduled, but I think once you've traveled a ton, you know, that sort of just the nature of travel is unpredictability and you have to be able to go with the flow. So I think just (laughs) the reality of knowing that has made me a lot more lax about getting things done. Um, we have a general idea of the topics we're going to cover and the places we're going to go about three or four months out and we'll, partner with different sponsors and get everything sort of like flights and things locked away and booked within three weeks of leaving for each one. But, um, anything more planned in advance than that, I don't think either of us are really attracted to. We kind of like being able to decide things semi last minute. Yeah. There's kind of a freedom and spontaneity in that, that just makes the travel, like, it just kind of like, there's that piece of travel that is spontaneous and it kind of just meshes together with that. Exactly. So when it comes to kind of the business side of things, when it comes to, you know, working with brands and even working with hotels, do you feel like because of your platform and your mission you have to turn down a lot of opportunities or kind of to counterpoint that, like, has it actually been easier to work with people because you know exactly what you're about and they know exactly what you're about? Yeah, that's a great question. So the answer is kind of both. So we definitely turn down a lot of opportunities on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. But to us, they aren't opportunities because they're usually with fast fashion brands or people who are like trying to convince us that they're sustainable, but they aren't really. (laughs) But um, for us, it was a blessing doing this because when you're around like 30 to 50,000 followers and you're a fashion slash travel blogger, it's like, welcome to the club. There are thousands. So Mm -hmm. when we sort of decided that this was our niche, we went from being a small fish in a big pond to being a big fish in a very, very small pond. So all of a sudden the ethical and sustainable fashion brands, if they were looking for a semi big blogging Instagram couple, they didn't have to look far to realize we were one of very few options. (laughs) So, um, in that way, it's been great because we're easily able to partner with brands that we're interested in because they don't want their clothing promoted by people who are going to promote their clothes one day and H&M and Forever 21 the next. So um, we're sort of an, a natural uh, a natural partner for them and they're a natural partner for us. And um, it makes the sort of negotiation process and the weeding out process of who we're going to work with and who we aren't a lot simpler. 
totally. I think a lot of new bloggers kind of get tempted to feel like they just have to work with anyone just to feel like mm -hmm. they're making this a career for themselves. But I think that, you know, kind of not a secret, but I think a huge thing is to know your values first and from there start making those decisions instead of going first based off what will make me think that I'm like actually doing this. I, I love that y'all lead with the values piece and your why piece, because I think that that for any business, whether it's blogging or even like owning a restaurant, anything like that to know the why that's just, and know the values behind that. That's, that's why things last mm -hmm. is when that piece is in there. So I think that's really cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I like to wrap these up with a little lifestyle questions. So the first one is, have you had that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I've made this happen? Hmm. I think it definitely feels validating the first time you sort of get a yes from a hotel for collaboration or a big check from a brand. But I, I don't think but, um, I don't think Porter and I have experienced sort of like a single success that made us feel like we could pause and revel in it. We're more the kind of couple to like high five, then put our heads back down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we like to reap the benefits of our hard work, but we don't really like to celebrate it more so than just get back to doing what we enjoy. And I mm -hmm. think we're both fortunate in that um, usually what's the most like boring part of being a photographer is editing. And that's actually what I love to do. So it's okay. like the tedious, annoying bits are what I enjoy. So, um, so the successes aren't as, I don't know, they're, they're not, um, they're not the biggest part of what we do. And I'm not sure if, if I'm sure something could happen that would be really exciting. And definitely things have happened that have been exciting in the past. A few months ago, we were in the um, Sunday Globe here in Boston in the travel section, and we were so pumped about that. But it's just the nature of our uh, the nature of the world right now as a whole and the nature of Instagram is that it's always changing. Right. So if you pause to sort of say like, whoo, I did it. This is awesome. Like wake up tomorrow. The algorithm's going to be different. Like, <laughs> it's going to catch you okay. by surprise. So, um, yeah. yeah, we sort of, we haven't had sort of a gigantic celebratory moment, but coming home and moving back into our apartment was definitely big for both of us after being on the road for a long time. And I mean, that's such a simple thing, but I think if anything, the biggest aha of this past year or like we've, um, we've progressed moment would be realizing how fortunate we are for all of the small things that you start to miss when you're living a life on the road and being able to make sort of your own cup of tea in the morning or go for a run on your favorite route. The depth of appreciation Porter and I have for those sorts of small things now is so much more vast than it's ever been before. And again, I think that's a major blessing because once you appreciate sort of the smallest of things, then, um, other things, sort of negative things become more superfluous. Right. So, and then kind of on that note of like the little things from home. So what did your morning routine look like today? That maybe is something that you couldn't do when you're on the road traveling. Absolutely right. So this, this, like this morning was probably exactly the kind of morning that I missed so much when we were on the road. Um, I woke up at six, 
I um, read for a little while, probably about 20 minutes. I had a cup of tea with my husband. Then I went for a run. I run the exact same route every single morning. I don't <laughs> change it. It's like my favorite run through I'm Boston. the same way. Yeah. yeah, it's the best way to start my morning. Everyone's going to work. And um, then I came back here. I did a Bible study and um, had breakfast, made a day plan with my husband and here we are. <laughs> not, I love it. Not too exciting, but um, but no, yeah, but great morning. So nice. I, there's so much to be said to start your morning. I mean, no, I don't want to say slower because obviously, I mean, you read, you did your Bible study, you went on a run, like you did a lot, but yeah. it's like not like you're diving into emails first thing exactly. in the morning from I when you wake up. I like to, outside of sort of posting on Instagram and stuff like that. I really try to be cognizant of not being on my phone too much and not being sort of technologically involved too much. I grew up in the kind of house where like if the sun was up, the TV was off. So I think my sort of natural happy place is away from technology. (laughs) So, um, that's been another great thing about not being on the road too, is that we can have a more normalized schedule where we can put aside those hours where we need to be on our laptops or things like that. But we can also have those hours where it's like, we're going to play tennis in the garden and going for a walk along the Esplanade. These are all local places in Boston. Sorry. I don't <laughs> and, um, and sort of see our friends and have um, sort of the normal social existence too, that we missed a lot when we travel, when you travel, you meet, a lot of interesting people, but you definitely miss just sort of hanging out with the friends that you grew up with. Right. Absolutely. And then the last question is, what is your favorite lifestyle hack? Hmm. So this could be like a travel hack, maybe. Gosh, this is a good question. I'm going to try to think of a good travel hack. Oh, this is actually a great travel hack if you're a couple. So, or if you're traveling as two, when we have any sort of travel day, there is always a designated leader. We realized very early on when, um, when we were in Europe in the fall that if we were going into like a hectic travel day with flight connections or like making a train in a regional train station that didn't have English anywhere, two leaders was like two cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) It didn't not work out well. We would miss the train, would be arguing. So like the first thing we do on a travel day is like, and to be fair, I am usually not the leader. I am not the calmest (laughs) traveler, but it's usually me just saying to my husband, like you are taking the wheel on this one. Like what you say will go for the day because it's just going to run more smoothly. And we like to keep sort of separate jurisdictions when we travel to where like certain things are my wheelhouse, certain things are Porter's wheelhouse. And we both sort of have veto power over the other person in our separate areas. And um, it makes traveling so much smoother. Just knowing <laughs> like, okay, this decision is always made by this person. That decision is always made by that person. It takes out all of the, or as many what ifs as you can in, um, in a world where what ifs are basically all that plays through your mind all day long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. I love that. It may, that's kind of just like a life hack in general. Yeah. I, it works for <laughs> us for sure. I think yeah. if you have two personalities that are kind of dominant or like to be in charge, yeah. you got to know when somebody is at the wheel and the other person needs to take the passenger seat. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. 
Well, where can everyone find you? Uh, our Instagram is at Recess City. And that's probably the easiest way to find us or to connect with us. I try to respond to every DM that we get. I'm a little behind right now, but I'm going to try to catch up today. And if not, um, our blog is RecessCity.com and our email is RecessCity at gmail.com. Amazing. I'll link all that up in the show notes. Thank you but, very much. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It was exciting to do this. Yeah. I think it was so inspiring and just a reminder that we can, we really can all make a difference no matter what our, our jobs are. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Influencer Girl Lifestyle. Love this episode? Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. For show notes and free resources on living out your influencer lifestyle, head over to monicawoodhams.com forward slash podcast. 